have it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's on. It's on. It's on. It's on. Look. It has also been confirmed that these occurrences are happening around the world as well. We are waiting on an official statement right now from the federal emergency. Can you see it out here? Oh my gosh. Welcome to all of our churches. We're in the second week of a three-week series called The End. If you're new with us and you think, man, this is kind of weird and creepy, I just want you to know that we're not always this weird and creepy, but for these three weeks, we're going to be weird and creepy as we're actually talking about what is going to happen in the end times. If you missed last week, or any week and would like to pick up the teaching, you can go to lifechurch.tv in the upper right-hand column, click on watch, and you can catch up with what we've been talking about. Last week, we looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we saw uh, the return of Christ. We saw the resurrection of the dead. We saw the reunion of Christians with God in heaven. Next week, we're going to do an overview of the book of Revelation. I'm going to pick some snapshots out of this book that I believe will help give you a biblical understanding of what will happen in the end times. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about your end times. Because whether or not Jesus returns in your lifetime, the end of your life will come on earth and you'll have to face one of two judgments. I want to talk about those two judgments today and also answer the question, what will heaven be like? So let's build a foundation for our study today by going to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. We'll look at Revelation 22, verse 12 and 13, the words of Jesus to start us out. I need help from all of our different churches. Read this part aloud. Jesus said, behold what, everybody? He said, behold, I am coming soon, Jesus said. And what will be with Jesus when he returns? He said, my reward is with me. And Jesus said, I will give to everyone according to what? According to what he has done. He said, I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Now, if you're new to Christianity, uh, let me be very, very clear in, in this. We are not qualified for heaven by how good we are. The truth is we're all sinners and the only way we're made right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. We're made right with God by grace through faith. We're forgiven by Jesus. But those of you who are Christians, it's very important to know that although your works do not qualify you for heaven, the way you live does determine how you will be rewarded in heaven. And let me say that again. For those of you that are Christians, the way you live on earth will determine how you are rewarded in heaven. 
For example, a preacher and a taxi cab driver died and went to heaven. St. Peter met them at the pearly gates and said, welcome, pastor, welcome, taxi cab driver, we've been expecting you. And St. Peter said to the, the pastor, over here we have a lovely three-bedroom, two-bath house with a nice fenced-in backyard prepared for you. And to the taxi cab driver, he said, on this side, we have a seven-bedroom mansion with a lovely swimming pool overlooking the seventh hole at the Heavenly Greens golf course prepared <laughs> just for you. And the pastor said, no, 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 wait a minute, I'm, I'm glad to be here and everything, but you know I did serve Jesus faithfully as a pastor all these years on earth. And St. Peter said, well, yes, pastor, we, we do know that, but you need to know that we judge you based on the results you got on earth. And pastor, whenever you preached, people slept. And whenever the taxi cab driver drove, People prayed. <laughs> Welcome to heaven, to what we have prepared for you. Now, that's not exactly the way it's going to happen. You need to know that that's just a joke. St. Peter won't be there welcoming you, but the way you live on earth will determine how you are rewarded in heaven. And I wanna know, what will the judgment be like for me and for you, when I was a kid, they told me, you know, there's gonna be this big screen in heaven and, and God would show this movie of your life and then he would judge you and I'm like, man, just send me straight to hell. I don't wanna go through that, that would be horrible. What will the judgment be like? We're gonna to look today at two different judgments. The first one, if you're taking notes, is the judgment seat of Christ. What is it and when will it take place? Let's start with when will it take place? A lot of Bible scholars believe it'll take place right after the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the Christian dead. And the reason they believe this is according to a little verse in a story that Jesus was telling in Luke 14 in his teaching, he said, hey, if you're throwing a dinner party, don't just invite your family and your friends and rich people because they can pay you back by inviting you to their parties. But Jesus said, instead, invite the poor and the lame and the cripple because they cannot pay you back, but I will repay you or reward you, Luke 14, 14. Jesus said, although they, the poor, cannot repay you, you will be repaid or rewarded when? Everybody help me out. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. A lot of people believe the judgment seat will take place after, last week we studied, the righteous, those who are in Christ, are raised from the dead. They will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Where do we read about this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this, for we must all appear before the what? Say it aloud, before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, most scholars believe, and I agree, that the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for Christians only. And at the judgment seat of Christ, you're not judged for salvation or damnation. You've already been saved, but this is a judgment for rewarding you for all the good works done on heaven. And here's why people believe this. 
The Greek word translated as judgment seat is the word bema. It's spelled B-E-M-A. And the bema was not the seat where the judge set, uh, set to issue a verdict, guilty or innocent, but instead it was the throne where the judge would sit to issue awards after the Grecian games. If the runners would run a race, the judge would seat at the Bema seat and say, congratulations, here's the crown or the wreath for first place. Here's the crown or the wreath for second place. And this was where the judge would issue awards for those who would win the race. Now, speaking of races, I don't think I told you, but my 12-year-old son asked to run in a race. Now, He's a sprinter, but never run distance before. And he said, Dad, I think I'm a distance runner. Can I compete in the Life Church All Staff 5K race? I said, son, you're 12 years old. You've never run more than a mile. No, you can't. It's only for adults. He said, Dad, I really want to. Are you the boss? I said, yes. He said, do you set the rules? I said, yes. He said, can I? I said, sure. Why not? <laughs> and I just told him, now, Sam, you know, you've never run this far don't expect to finish. You probably won't finish, and you're probably going to come like at the end. These 244 adults have been training for this. Well, my son, Sam, the age of 12, never trained. He clocked better than 22 minutes, turned in a 10th place showing out of 244 adults, and never even trained. And if you don't clap for my son every now and then, I think that's just incredible. In fact, we just happen to have a picture of Sam running that race. Did I mention that we didn't train last year? You need to know that we're training right now because it's less than 11 months away. And this year, who knows, he might take the gold. Well, what I did, I was so proud of him. I had a, um, a little medal made and I had a presentation. I said, well done, my good and fast son. <laughs> you, you, did, you did awesome. And there's this, this sense of the pride of the father rewarding the son. Well, imagine your heavenly father through Jesus rewarding you for your faithfulness on earth. Now, how will you be rewarded? We're not sure. My theory is there might be dozens, hundreds, or maybe even thousands of crowns or various other types of rewards. We know for sure, according to scripture, there are at least five different crowns, and let me show them to you. The first one is the incorruptible crown, for those who run a faithful race, who are devoted to Christ in, in righteous living. There is the crown of rejoicing for those who share their faith. If you invite your friend to church or you're a light in your office or in your fraternity and you're a witness to others, there is a crown for those who share their faith. There's also the crown of righteousness for those who long for Christ's returning. Remember last week, Maranatha, He's coming soon. If you look forward to his return, there is the crown of righteousness. There is also the crown of glory <laughs> for faithful pastors, amen, amen, and amen. And finally, there is the crown of life. If you've ever suffered on Christ's behalf, for those who are martyred or for those who endure great hardships for Christ, there is actually a crown given to those who suffer for the glory of Christ. Now, if you think, hey, I'm gonna go to heaven and Jesus is gonna give me this crown and I'm gonna strut 
my stuff around heaven going, check out the size of my crown. Look at your puny crown. Bet you wish my yours was as big as mine. You will not do that. You won't be pulling a wagon going, look at all mine. You've only got one. You pathetic little better be glad you're here, Christian. You won't do that at all. Because if you read in Revelation 4, when the 24 elders received their crown, do you know what they did with their crown? They knelt down before Jesus and they took their crowns and they placed it at the feet of Jesus. Because if you can only imagine Jesus with nail-scarred hands, the one who was crowned with thorns, putting a crown on your head, it'll be the most humbling moment of your existence when you realize, I don't deserve anything and he deserves everything. And you'll put the crown at his feet to worship the one who is due all of our worship and all of our honor and all of our praise. And for those of you who are Christians, how you live on earth determines how you will be rewarded in heaven. Now, let's take a step back, and what I want to do is give you a suggested timeline of all these different events that we've been talking about. Now, this is a suggested timeline. Everybody say suggested. Okay. This is not declaring this is 100% accurate. If anybody tells you or you go to a website that says, this is exactly how it's going to come down, and they look at you and say, this is it, just look at them and go, uh-huh, because nobody knows for sure. What we're doing is taking different verses, and I'm building what I'm guessing is a, a, an accurate, mostly accurate timeline, and I want to show you just so you'll have this. It's not in your notes, so take notes fast or re-watch this later, but here's a suggested timeline. We, last, we watched last week that Christ would return, that the dead in Christ would rise, that Christians would be raptured. Some people believes, uh, believe this takes place later, uh, I believe, in a pre-trib. We'll find out. Uh, believers may be rewarded very early in this process, according to Luke 14, 14. Then will come the seven-year tribulation, the second three and a half years far worse than the first. The Antichrist will rise during this time. Then there will be the battle of Armageddon, evil versus righteousness, and our God wins when Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit where he is bound for a thousand years, only to be released for a short period of time before God does away with him forever. During that thousand-year time, Christ returns for the 1,000-year reign known as the millennial reign. The first time he came back, he came back for us, his church. The second time he comes back with us, his church, to rule and reign for a thousand years on earth. Then comes the resurrection of the dead. Last week we looked at two resurrections. The first is the resurrection of those who are in Christ. The second is for non-Christians, and that's known as the resurrection of the dead, who will be judged at the great white throne judgment before God does what God has wanted to do and establishes the new heaven and the new earth. Now, people ask all the time, what will heaven be like? Won't we be bored in heaven? What are we going to do after this massive war and battle and evil is done away with 
and we just have to dwell with God forever in paradise. Aren't we going to be bored? We have to sit there and watch fat, naked baby angels playing the harp on clouds for all eternity? What is heaven going to be like for all of eternity? Well, John had a vision of this in Revelation 21. And in verses 1 through 4, I'll show you three specific descriptions of what heaven will be like. The first thing we're going to see is that God will establish a what? Everybody say it aloud. God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 1, Revelation 21, John says this. He, saw, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What happens? God establishes and creates a brand new earth without the curse of sin and a new heaven. And that's why many scholars believe, and I tend to agree, that whatever you enjoy on earth, you'll enjoy on the new earth and the new heaven. The only difference is we won't be under the curse of sin. It'll be just like in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with the Lord. Paradise, uninterrupted fellowship with God in, in paradise before the serpent ruined everything with the temptation followed by the curse. So, whatever you love on earth, your favorite moment on earth, heaven will be indescribably better than your greatest moment on earth. Think about your favorite place, your favorite moment. For me, um, for 11 years straight, my family has been to a place in Colorado every summer, and we always travel to this uh, hike, to this waterfall that I'm telling you, it's so big, it looks like it comes from out of the heavens. And we sit in the middle of these majestic mountains, watching the water crashing down on the rocks. And we hike to the base of this waterfall. And we take pictures. And, and we have a picnic. And my kids play. And, and every year I, I say, look at this place. If we don't worship God, the rocks will cry out to the glory of God. It is so incredible. And so we pray a prayer to thank God. And then every year I say, it doesn't get any better than this. And every year, Amy says, you say that every year. And I say, I do, I believe. Well, one year I said it, then I looked up and my youngest son, Buki, had his pants down and he was peeing in the river. <laughs> and I threw my arms up and I said, oh God, it doesn't get any better than this when my young son does what men do freely in the glory of creation, pee <laughs> in a river for the glory of my God who created all this. It doesn't get any better than this. You take your best moment on earth and realize this. Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what our God has prepared for those who love him. God will establish a new heaven and a new earth. The second thing is you will never suffer Again, here's what scripture says, the promise from God, Revelation 21, verse 4 and 5. He, meaning God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Praise God. For the older order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making 
everything new. God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For those of you who hurt right now, you need to know in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more pain, no more suffering. If your body is racked with pain, never again. If you watch someone you love suffer physically, never ever again. If you have headaches, never again. No more cancer, no more diabetes, no more AIDS, no more famine, no more sickness, no more starvation, no more wars, no more divorce, no more loneliness, no more agony, no more pain. It's done away with again and again and again. The world has no curse and you can walk with God. He will do away with all pain. God will establish a new heaven, a new earth. You will never, ever suffer again. And number three, you will live with God forever. This is the way it's described in Scripture. Revelation 21.3. This is the 20th time this phrase is written in Revelation. It's the final time this phrase is written in Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. One commentary I read said, because it's the last time, this is the most important announcement from God in all of Revelation. If that's true, I could see why it is. And the final time from the throne, there is the voice of God. Now, God says, the dwelling of God is where? It's with men. Come on, work with me. Where is the dwelling of God, everybody? It is with men. And where will he live? He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be where? He will be with them, and he will be what? He will be their God. And this is the final declaration from the throne, as if God is saying, finally, it's done. It's restored. It's back to the way I created it. It is the way I wanted it. My children are with me. I am with them. And the reason no one's cheering and no one's clapping and you're just sitting there is because our finite minds cannot comprehend the glory of that promise. Here's the reality. We can't even handle God in his purest essence. Do you realize that? Scripture says we cannot look upon him in, our purest in his purest essence and live. Our mortal bodies cannot handle the pure presence of God. But on that day when we're raised to life, when we're in our immortal bodies clothed in righteousness, we can walk with God and fellowship with God, just like in the Garden of Eden before temptation. And God is saying, that's the way I wanted it. Why? Because he doesn't just love us, but love is who he is. And he created us as the object of his love. And he is satisfied, and he is fulfilled, and his plan is complete when we, his children, dwell with him. Those of you with kids, you know what it's like. I have six of them, and they're rarely all together. 
Now that there's driver's license and such, I'm like, hey, kids, come home, free dinner, I'm buying, come back. And when they're all together, those of you who are parents and know this, what, what do you feel? It's like, they're here, the world is right. That all, my, my whole flock is here together. And in a sense, that's what God is saying. Hey, hey, my children are with me and there's no more pain and they dwell in paradise. And this is the way I wanted it. And it starts out when you stand before the one who is crowned with thorns and he welcomes you with a crown of righteousness into the heaven that he prepared for you. And God is that good. And those of you who are Christians have that to look forward to. Now, here's the problem. Most people today believe that heaven is the default destination. Most people today believe heaven is the default destination. And I need to tell you clearly, it's not. Hell is actually the default destination. Here's how it goes today. Well, Uncle Joe died. You know, Uncle Joe wasn't much of a churchgoer. You know, wasn't so religious. And, well, Uncle Joe wasn't perfect, but he's a pretty good old boy, except for that one time. We're not going to talk about that. But, you know, he tried hard, and he did some good things for some people. And so we're so thankful now that Uncle Joe's in a better place now. So glad he's in a better place now. And we... Tell ourselves that to make ourselves feel better anytime someone we love departs from this earth. Where we're so thankful they're in a better place now. Because so many people believe that heaven is the default destination. But what you need to understand is actually hell is the default destination. And most people believe, hey, we're pretty good people. We're doing the best we can. We're all going to heaven, right? Jesus actually said something that should be very sobering to all of us. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many people, a lot of people, enter through the wrong uh, gate. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The tragedy is so many people believe that heaven is the default destination, when in reality is there's a lot of people traveling on the broad path that leads to the true default destination, and that is hell. So, we talked about the first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ where Christians go to be rewarded for their works on earth. How we live on earth determines how we're rewarded in heaven. There is a second judgment, if you're taking notes, and this is known as the great white throne judgment. And Christians will not be here. This is how the great white throne judgment is described in Scripture. 
John, exiled to the Isle of Patmos in Revelation 20, verse 11, had this vision. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. He says, and I saw the dead, great and small. In other words, those who were significant and the even seemingly insignificant all through the history of the world were there. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Here's the important part. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's sins were not covered by Christ, if anyone had not called on the grace of God, if anyone was judged by their works alone and not by the perfect work of Jesus, if their name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the default destination. Now, Let's pause again, because I know what many of you are thinking. If you're not a church person, if you're not a Christian, if you're kind of skeptical, you're probably thinking the same thing I would think, and that is, hang on a minute. That's not fair. I don't like that part of the story. That's not fair. God sending people to hell, that's not fair. Fair. And that would be my first thought until I thought it through logically. And let's talk about what's really not fair. Because those actions on behalf of God are absolutely and completely fair. How many of you have ever known somebody who hurt someone else severely and they were not held accountable for their actions? How many know that? What happens? You look at that and say, that's not fair. They should have to pay. Have you ever known someone who did some, some horrible injustice to someone else and they got away with it and there were no consequences? What happens, you look on and say, that's not fair. Someone has to pay for that. And that's exactly what happens at the great white throne judgment. God takes all the sin of course, of course, all of history and says at this moment there will be payment for the sins that were not covered by Christ. And because you don't have his righteousness and because you are guilty, here is the punishment for sin. And not only is that fair, but that's what we call justice. If you want to play the not fair game, that's where those of you who are Christians or those of you who are about to be should get really, really, really excited because what's not fair is the one who was crowned with thorns gives you a crown and you deserve the lake of fire just as I deserve the lake of fire. But the only reason that we're there is because Jesus took the punishment for our sins upon him. He was innocent, we are guilty, and that's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair that I'm rewarded. It's not fair that I'm there. It's not fair that his grace covered my sins. It's not fair that his righteousness is imputed to me as righteousness. It's not fair that I'm robed in his righteousness and it covers my sins. It's not fair that he was innocent and suffered on behalf of me who was guilty. And that's not fair. And that's why it's called the gospel 
which means good news, and that's why when Jesus tries to put a crown on my head, I'm falling at his feet and putting it back and begging to worship him for the next 10,000 years because my Savior is that good. And God is just, but because we as Christians are not treated as our sins deserve, I thank God that in that case, he's not fair. And that's why I want to live a life on earth worthy of his rewards in heaven. Father, I pray today that your spirit would minister faith to your people, that we could live a life worthy of your rewards in heaven. As you're praying today at all of our different churches, those of you that are Christians, I want to talk to you for a moment and ask you a very simple question, but one that has very serious implications. The question I want to ask you is, do you truly want to live a life on earth worthy of his rewards in heaven? Now, let's be careful here. What I'm not saying is you're trying to win his favor and his approval. You're already accepted because of Jesus. But out of a response to everything that Jesus did, we want to live a life not for our own pleasure, but for his eternal glory. All of our different churches, those of you who are Christians and say, yes, I really do. I want to give in his name and I want to serve in his name and I want to love in his name and I want to witness in his name and I want to make a difference in his name and I want my life on earth to bring glory to him in eternity. I want my life here to be worthy of the rewards in heaven. Would you lift up your hands right now, all of our different churches? God, thank you for those who desire to please you in all they do. And I pray, God, you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to know the needs in front of us. And God, with the purest motives, we would visit the sick or those in prison and clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And one day in heaven, you'd say to us, you fed me, you visited me, you clothed me. And we'd wonder, when did we do this? And you'd tell us what you did to the least of these you did to me. And God, when you try to reward us, we will fall on our face and we'll put any crown back at your feet because you are the only one worthy of our adoration and our praise. God, help us to live a life on earth worthy of your rewards in heaven. As you keep praying today at all of our different churches, some of you right now, internally, there's some spiritual discomfort. You, you, you hear this message and you're a bit unsettled. If you stood before God today, you might be, be, be wondering, man, if I'm before the great white throne judgment, you realize your works are not good enough and your sin disqualifies you from heaven. Here's the good news. The good news is that when God does punish sin, that is fair. But God does not always treat us as our sins deserve. If we call on Jesus, who was without sin, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world, raised from the dead so that anyone who calls on his name would be saved 
forgiven and transformed. And that's why many of you are here when you turn from your sins and you turn toward Jesus, no matter what you've done, he'll forgive every sin. He'll make you brand new. Your name will be written in his book of life and it can never be blotted out. And many of you, that's why you're here today and you know it. Today is the day of your salvation. All of our churches, those of you who say, yes, today I trust him. I give my life to him. Jesus, take my life. Save me. Make me new. Lift your hands high right now all over the place. Lift them up and leave them up. Let me look at you eye to eye right back over here and here as well. God bless you guys. Others of you here in this middle section, right back here in this back section, back over here, both of you right back here. God bless you guys here as well and over here. Praise God for you. All three of you right here together. Bless you all right back in here in this section. Thank God for you. Church Online, you click right below me. I don't know how you're all being quiet. We're in the middle of God doing something very special. Others today who say, yes, save me from my sins. Jesus, make me new. I trust you. Everybody pray aloud with those around you. Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again so I could live for you. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, would you worship loud, worship big. Thank our God. Welcome those born into his family today.